Resistance is Fertile, a podcast series exploring the places where protests against polluting projects have become living experiments in different ways of organising community life and relating to nature. The places where something worth fighting for is put directly in the path of something worth fighting against. The places where new worlds are being created in the shell of the old. Join me, Alice Owen, as I meet the people who have decided to live in the communities which have grown from protest movements against destructive projects like airports and coal mines. We'll discover some of the ways in which these people and their inhabited resistances are challenging the root assumptions at the heart of our resource-hungry and deeply unjust society and how they are prefiguring the alternatives. Today and in the next couple of episodes, we'll be visiting places and times that no longer exist. So much has changed in the three years since these visits were recorded. Not only were we in a pre-COVID world, but this was also a time before protests about the climate emergency had gone mainstream with the likes of Extinction Rebellion and the school strikes. Beyond placards and protests, in the inhabited struggles we will visit, the fear for the future and the despairing of the present is met with active hope. In these places, there is a sense of starting anyway, of beginning to experiment towards the kinds of future societies that are more desirable than the way things seem to be going. The first stop on our journey is Grow Heathrow, which, at the time of visiting back in January 2018, was a squat breathing new life into four acres of disused land, directly in the path of the proposed third runway at Heathrow Airport on the outskirts of London. Grow Heathrow resisted and survived many eviction attempts over its 10-year history, but on the 8th of March 2021, the police completely evicted the site in the middle of a national lockdown and in the context of the highly concerning proposed changes to anti-trespass and anti-protest laws. Although Grow Heathrow no longer exists as it once did and the people who made it their home have moved on, the ideas cannot be evicted. Perhaps even in our brief visit, there will be some seeds which we will come to find have planted themselves in our minds. Many people have passed through Grow Heathrow over the years, and there were a hardy dozen on site when I visited in the depths of winter. I met Kirsty, William and Mandy. My name is Kirsty. I'm William. Yeah, I'm Mandy. And they agreed to show me around and share their impressions and experiences of the place. My guides had each arrived and stayed for their own reasons. I came here for a whole bunch of reasons that don't really exist anymore. Everything's changed and I'm still happy to live here. Um, it's a really unique place. I've been living at Grow Heathrow since September of last year. This is 2018, that was 2017. I came here because um, I've been involved in, in certain uh, ecological activist projects um, and uh, I was living quite close and I knew about Grow Heathrow uh, a couple of years before um, and I came to live here because I like community life and I believe in an ecological world. We're all here because the outside world is fucked and we're like, <laughs> what, what can we actually do? Okay, we can, we can live here <laughs> in this way. 
Um, I came to be here because I met a girl in Portugal who used to live here and um, she told me about it and it was fascinating and I thought I've got to visit this place. So I came in at the beginning of November and two months later I'm still here and not going anywhere soon. In 2012, four acres of disused land were occupied by the Grow Heathrow community as a project to grow resilience that could not only see off the threat of the proposed third runway at Heathrow Airport, but could also bring Heathrow communities together to secure a better life for all. Grow Heathrow is in a village called Sipson. And um, there used to be a lot more shops and a lot more stuff for local people here. Now. Everything is just the airport, the airport or Uxbridge, which is the nearest town. We're outside Zayani, which is a, an Indian restaurant, and we're opposite the post office. Um, and the post office in particular is probably the last like part of the Sipson community, which is shite, really. Um, why should commercial interests mean that local people don't have things like a post office or like local shops or whatever near where they live? And we're standing opposite a mural. Um, which was painted by some people who used to live at Grow. Um, and it's, uh, the title of the mural says on the wall really big, beauty is in the struggle. Um, and it's got a picture of a planet with some carrots and some tomatoes and leeks and various um, like banners saying save our sips and post office, transition Heathrow and doves and clouds and handprints and the anarchy symbol around it. Um, and it's got writing as well, um, which I'll read out. It says, Heathrow once supplied London with fresh food. Its community environment and economy has been controlled by the aviation industry. Heathrow is a home, not just an opportunity for profit. Through the struggle, we find beauty in friendships, trust, strength, creativity, generosity, and celebrate all those who have given to the community, each other and our planet. Beauty is in the struggle. Yeah. And so yeah. for you, or like your understanding of growing history, what is the struggle? What is the struggle? Um, the struggle, on a lot of fronts, um, the struggle is... I mean, I guess it's different for different people. Like, everyone has their own reasons to live that grow. One side of it is, like, yeah, against the airport, against, like... I mean, this being a squat, it's like a, a land rights protest as well. And it's the longest squat running within Greater London. It's like coming up to eight years now. Um, so there's all that going on. And then those are like long-term struggles. Heathrow Airport struggle, that's been going since the 50s, or 1950s. That's been since when Heathrow Airport wanted to expand the runway. Um, and the land rights, that's been going since the 1600s or 1700s, like way, way before. But then there's more immediate things like the HS2 train line, like um, f um, fracking and other stuff. Like we have a lot of activists from other parts of the UK coming here. Um, and, and then there's also me just like, I just want to live in like a house in the woods, like quite quietly with like-minded people. And that's not a protest, it's like a way of life. You have more time to do your own creative things, live your own life. The struggle is also environmental. It's also about doing stuff like in a more sustainable way. It's about doing stuff, being more mindful of we've only got one planet, of um, not, like waste goes somewhere. It doesn't just disappear when you send it somewhere else, so be more responsible with it. Um, the struggle is against the 
against the sort of the way things are going, the dominant trends and stuff like that. The way the against um, the sort of preordained pattern for your life. You know, you you're born, you go to school, you go to school, you go to school, you go to college. Maybe you go to uni or further training. You get a job, you get a house. There's like no joy in that, and there's no opportunity for an individual to flourish. And I mean, other people might say different things, but I think that's a huge part of the resistance. It's, it's kind of interesting, something I noted uh, like a few years ago, it was when I started kind of living uh, alternatively, is just like, just by following my my uh, my instincts of, you know, the world around me and, and what's in my heart, you know, what, what it is that I care about, um, somehow I've ended up being in the face of, uh, well, of that oppression and... and uh, that adversity you know like i'm here just trying to to exist and live in a way that is uh not harmful to the planet uh not harmful to others um and somehow by doing that that means i'm now at a protest i set out to to find uh something that's right for me and is possibly right for others and somehow that that means in the world we live in that you have to you have to protest for that you have to stand up for it because it's not already there. I suppose that's that would that would be what I would call personally like uh, indirect protest by doing that. And then obviously there's the things I care about and what's connected to this place as a as an activist hub. You know the um, the people that we know and the people that 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 we meet and their struggles and their fights, whether it be a big railway or fracking or you know an airport or coal mining open cast coal mining in, in even other parts of Europe uh, how that relates to me and my existence it, it's all interconnected uh, here um, I can then you know more of a direct protest go to these places where they are uh, decimating land destroying you know communities and you know, stand there with my little placard and say oi no or run towards a group of armed police and try and break through to sit on a train track or you know to stop coal going into a you know a coal mine this place is right next to the airport so it's always going to be about that but it's also about uh living in this way next to that and opposed to that there are people living here who are um against the third runway but as we know like the third runway is just a piece of the puzzle it's just uh it it's one of the things that is is going to affect the climate change that we are facing uh already as scientists have said we're going past the tipping point it, it, like on the one hand like living here you feel like like i feel like oh I'm, really, I'm changing the world um i'm doing the best that i can um i'm making a difference but like it's such a huge problem um and there's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't believe that like individual actions really make much of a difference. But, but like that's what the whole protest aspect of this. That's why that appeals to me because like I'm like not only are we just living ecologically, but we're like making a statement about it. And we're, like we're doing this on this occupied land um, mm. to make you take notice of, of us. And like, I don't know. Yeah. So now we're stepping into Grey Heathrow itself. The gate at the site entrance is not only a passageway between the site and the local community, but also the border between the outside world and the world that is being created here. 
So we're stood at the gate of Greg Heathrow. Which is like a piece of art in itself, I think. Um, like for, for like a gate this big and, and threatening, that they've painted it really nicely. Like in this, uh, like pastel colours that are as kind of innocent as we can make it look. Yeah, the idea was to make our front gate look welcoming to the community, <laughs> so that people despite can... having these massive spikes on it. Yeah, yeah. the, the big spikes. Like uh, feet tall. Paint the spikes and uh, stick Grohe throw on top of the spikes, and it suddenly looks pretty. Be able to invite people in to make it look uh, non-threatening and friendly because that's what we're here for, really. It's to be for the community, to empower the people in this area to have their village, their community uh, against expansions of airports or other big industrial businesses. The gate is here as a security measure. Um, because it's an act of squat, you know, yeah, like we're exactly. not here legally. Yeah. No, we are here legally. We, oh, sorry. Um, well... Well, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment yeah. with the court process. We are in a good relationship with the landowners, um, but uh, we did we did lose the court case to say that we can't be here. But we are currently trying to negotiate how long we can stay and if we can get some sort of rent-free tenancy. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we're nice people. They recognise that we're not people that are here to, like, uh, disrupt the land in any way. Uh, we're trying to increase the ecology of this land which was once um a uh just a, a a wasteland of car parts and oil and tires um and when the community first came here nearly eight years ago um with the council's help took away over 40 tons worth of rubbish from in this land and has turned it into the gardens and the the plants and the structures and living places around that it is now. For a place like this, I think we've got a good relationship with, um, with the wider community. They come and bring us things like Christmas cakes and, and their old furniture. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's, it's good. I think they, they don't see us, or they don't necessarily just see us as like hippies and squatters. They can, they can see the value in it, I think. And everybody around here hates the airport, so. It's been like a varying relationship with like engagement with like local people, litter picks, teaching school children stuff, um, clearing rubbish off the site. There was so much shite here. There's still loads of shite here, but it's like our shite that we brought on, so it's <laughs> different. And um, Grow Heathrow was set up on the 1st of March 2010. Um, and it was set up, there was a crew of activists who were living in Sipson and um, they were paying rent on a house and were supported by the local community at that time to be doing what they were doing. They were doing stuff like banner drops, actions um, and um, protesting and just being really aggy in a way that the local people definitely felt but sort of were a bit more afraid to do because... I mean, activists are people who, I think, feel the same grievances as most people, but <clears throat> they just they give a bit less of a shit about what what's gonna what the repercussions are gonna be because they know that it's worth doing. Um, and the so they were living in a house and paying rent. Were kicked out of that because they couldn't continue to pay the rent. They're not having jobs and stuff. And then the local people told them about this site, which was derelict, and they broke in and began living here. Inside Great Throw are structures and sculptures wherever you look. It seems only imagination is the limit here. Between the brambles and the fruit trees, all kinds of junk has been repurposed. From a carnival float made of scrap metal 
to a bicycle-powered washing machine, to a shipping container converted into the guest cabin where I stayed. The folk here sleep in structures that seem to resemble their personalities, from haphazard sheds built of scrap, to yurts, to beautifully designed cabins. There's a semi-outdoor kitchen, a cosy shared living room with a fireplace, an art space, a bicycle workshop, compost toilets, a space for wood processing, a space for parties, and numerous growing spaces. But before we begin our grand tour of site, let's get our bearings with a visit to the site office and library. Here on the left is our like office, and inside we do have uh, lots of like, radical literature. And Great. this is also something that's offered to the local community to be able to come in, read about the history of activism and uh, you know where it's come from. Because you know, this isn't new. What we're doing now isn't new. It's been going for, for hundreds of years. That's a really important point. <laughs> it's here, a very important point. Knowing our history as activists, like we're, we're cut off from our history as, as activists. I've got a, a poster in my bedroom that was there when I like got that room, and it's a great poster. And it starts from like the Norman Conquest and like charts all of the um, like land-based movements in the UK all the way up to the to the present. And it's so, it's so empowering to read it. It's great. A uh, Daniel playing the guitar in here. We have general books here, um, you know, nature, history, uh, like languages, all, all that kind of stuff that you may find in a normal library. And then here on the right, um, it's all a bit of a mess at the moment, but up, all of these books up here um, and uh, and on these shelves are zines and uh, and and uh, books like radical literature, basically uh, radical stories. There's a map on the wall here, Mandy. What do you, what do you think of this? Map? It's of the runway plans, and this was. Uh, I know that this was like smuggled out. I can't say who buys. I, I don't. I, no, I don't know Secret. who buy. I, I have no idea. I just know that it was that someone leaked this map to us. And there's the proposed third runway there. As you can see, it's like. So this is where Grohe Throw is currently, and uh, and over here is well this this little town here you can't see anymore because it's covered by a runway, but it's called Longford, um, which has like you know hundreds of years of history and people living there. Um, it's it's so strange. Round here it's like a really big industrial place, but then you go into these little villages and it's like going back in time. You know they still exist. And this this town here you can just see an S worth. Uh, this is the town of Harmonsworth, and they're going to basically destroy half of that. Um, over in this direction is a cemetery called Cherry Lane Cemetery, and they're going to dig that up and move it somewhere else. And, you know, people's families grown up around here. Uh, one particular person, like local resident who comes to visit us, his wife's buried there. And uh, obviously he's not very happy about what the airport wants to do with with his wife's final resting place. And so I think that's something that everyone can understand, whether they're pro-airport expansion or not. You've got to think about the, uh, the, the impact that that has on people's lives. It's not just, uh, you know, increasing in industry. With that comes uh, decimation of, of, of people's lives and final resting places. And yeah, there's lots of fields and people's homes and and uh, business, like local businesses that will, will just be, you know, concreted over, just mm -hmm. be gone. Um, that's what the government have said. The people, however, uh, have a, a different opinion and uh, are still telling the airport that 
they're not going to expand here. Uh, they don't need to expand. They can reduce the amount of flights, uh, domestic and and commercial, um, which are about 70% of the flights going from Heathrow. Only 30% of those flights are um, people going to visit family members in other parts of the world. You know, the rest is business, commercial or or domestic, flying from here to Manchester, you know, which, I mean, you can you can get a train possibly even faster with the amount of time that you've got to check in at the airport and then get the plane, you know, you probably get to Manchester faster by train. Um, but the trains are more expensive than the flights, which is part of the problem as well. You know, why are flights uh, so cheap when, you know, they're a lot more expensive to the earth, uh, really. Uh, but we're not going to let them do it, you know. Uh, pe <laughs> the, the people in this place, like the people people who live in the local community here are inspiring you know they're just they're just you know what some people may call just the average people living their life families just trying to survive in this in this uh, in this in this economy in this world and they are they are standing here against one of the biggest giants you know it's a proper david and goliath story sort of thing like and uh and I think I think you know their voice is being heard, and it's and it's and it's it, it's it's being spread. You know, people are starting to understand more about their environment, and don't mm. want to let these th don't want to let these big companies just be able to come and boss boss you around just because they've got all the money, all the assets. That was, this is one of the first places that I lived. Right, woodland area, like we have tree houses in here, which they also double as like a defense against uh, eviction attempts, which is basically what the idea of these are. But also it's just cool to have tree houses. We've all seen Peter Pan and we all love the idea of the Lost Boys and Neverland and stuff. So We yeah. create the world that we want to live in yeah. here. We want to live in a world with tree houses. Yeah. So we have tree houses. <laughs> This whole, you know, this whole, this is like, you know, a big playground as well as a working site. You know, you've got to have fun. And like, you know, in the summer when it's a bit more kind of bright and less, uh, less, uh, less dull and, you know, cold. We, you know, we'll, we'll set up like slack lines between the trees and, you know, like, like do some climbing with ropes and harnesses, safety equipment, stuff like that. You know, like, I mean, you, you can kind of see these blue ropes going from like two blue ropes above each other going from tree to tree. Do you see those? Mm -hmm. They're quite hard to see, but those are walkways. So you can walk, you can walk from this treehouse to that platform to that treehouse, um, and you can get as far as the trees over there. It's kind of like Hambacher Forest. I've never been there, but like when you're up there, you can see there's like the main living space in the bottom floor, and then on the top floor there's this door with the windows in on its side, and that's where you sleep. And the view out there in the summer is just like it's just trees and leaves and birds, and it, it's like. You, you feel so unhuman being there, as in that you, you, it's a view that you don't, most people don't get, just like the tops of trees and the birds up there and stuff. And it's great. And I remember this is where everything began, like where I first stayed, and sort of being there. And the, the, this place in the summer was brilliant. I think it always is. Like it's always harder in the winter because it's colder. People like fuck off to their own places, go into buildings, a bit less people around. Um, in the summer, loads of people about. Um, trees everywhere, it barely gets dark at night because of it being summer, um, blackberries everywhere, really worn, really heady, the grapevine in the main space has got grapes on it and it just it feels like paradise, like this like weird anarchist summer camp. 
kind of thing. And we go swimming in the lake that used to be a quarry around the corner. And I remember spending nights there and just being like, oh, I think I want to live here. And that, that sort of conversation that you have with yourself when you're like, when you're somewhere and you really see your future there, like that's quite profound and that happened in there. Um, it leaks a lot, but in the summer that didn't matter. Um, it does though. I mean, here we're sort of we're all around each other all the time. Um, if you want privacy in a place like this, possibly in any community, but even more in a place like this, you've got to make it yourself. Um, likewise, with emotional privacy or boundaries or whatever, you've got to assert these things yourself. And I never lived in a place that was so that taught me so much in that way. Everywhere else I lived, people were sort of a bit more aware than they are here, and they sort of. They, they give you your distance and give you your space and give you your time. But here, people have got their own backgrounds and whatever and they don't really do that. So it's it's been good, really good for someone who comes from, like, I know, more, like, cosy, softly, softly, nicely upbringing to be in a place like this where if you want anything, you have to ask for it and fight for it sometimes directly. Um, it teaches you a lot. It's a life skill. I think no nothing apart from being deprived of something can teach you how to ask for it. And... So being having your own space is really important. And it was this this building, this tree house and the tree house next to it there, they were built by the same person. I don't know who or how long ago, but they were built as defence of site things. So like they've each got lock-ons inside them, which is where it's like a, a big bucket of cement with a, a metal shape, like a D shape in it. And you can lock yourself to them in the event of an eviction to slow down the eviction process. Um, and yeah, they're part of our defence. Oh, you're caught on a bramble. The view of all the cars. The bridge that's across there, we walk across that bridge to get to the cafe with the internet. Um, but like, I'll be walking across there and I'll see just the traffic just backed up, but like, as far as the eye can see, and I'm just like, suckers. Like, <laughs> I, br I broke out of the system. <laughs> I don't know. This is a motorway that comes from the airport. Very industrial around here. It's weird, there's pockets of nature and then pockets of just big concrete machine anti-nature anti yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny like the, this is the boundary as well um the boundary oh, fence yeah. yeah but this this boundary here is uh yeah i guess the site boundary like the being a squat uh like security is a is a thing so like yeah. we have things in place to um and, and ways to resist eviction these aren't just barricades like we've done them with wood and a lot of natural materials and the idea is that this is habitat this this is this a lot of animals live in this you know like hedgehogs and and voles mm. uh, uh stag beetle grubs yeah these aren't just barricades basically they're, they're also you know, this is we're saying that this is this is habitat this is for animals that's why we've built these such a maze it, it is yeah you'll, you'll be you'll be amazed when we come out that I mean, I'm, when I first like learned my way around site, like coming out the end, I'm like, oh, I'm here, and like, <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense. So this is Compost Junction. One of my first memories of this place is like very dear to my heart, and um, I had just come here and just met my now 
partner and one of the first things we did together was score all these buffies <laughs> together and there's I mean there's always people passing through here and there's some of the taking pictures and stuff so yeah there's like some really nicely shot photographs taken by this um, Danish photographer person who came by of us like and it's just a really fun memory because the weather was great and we just met and it was this, this is this very beautiful feeling of like ah oh, do we I think we do oh, I'm not sure oh oh what we do and it is there's nothing quite like it and um it'll stay with me forever that flower bed <laughs> long after this place is evicted that piece of that land is bed. yeah yeah in the in the summer it's like wildly growing like so much stuff happening you can kind of see the remains of what was a herb spiral here they had like um sage mug, mugwort mint cabbages all sorts of stuff beetroots um things growing and all the different sort of you can still kind of see where the flower beds are um it gets the sun beautifully in the summer and the late autumn hence you can still see the the sun lounger there in the summer we we grow more than we're growing now we have a polytunnel one of the original polytunnel structures that we still actually use to grow stuff because before the site used to be a complex of greenhouses and that and we still use one of them to grow like in this this summer we had or the summer gone we had mint um we had basil we had beetroots we had loads of tomatoes really good um but now the two people who were really big on doing that who did it effortlessly like who had green fingers and just like loved doing that um they've moved away um and now it's winter and actually the majority of the food that we get is skipped so it's from from bin diving or from the like we buy basics so like rice lentils oats from this massive cash and carry um around the corner in haze so in a lot of ways like I mean, we get asked about sustainability quite a bit. All the structures are built from reclaimed materials. A lot of the the majority of the food that we get is waste. People get quite kleptomanic about like skipping and going out and finding stuff. And it's like it's sort of once you realise how much food our society throws out, it feels wrong to buy it. I don't say that's not a statement of like being tight or anything. It's like when you're going to the bins every night and just seeing how much food there is, it feels mad to buy it. Um, so in that sense, I guess we're sort of transitioning, you can say. We live so close to a city that, and, and the land is sort of, the, the soil is so poor that it does seem to be the most reasonable thing we can do. As a whole, the project as a whole constantly, is a, it's a transition point between um, uh, buying everything um, and growing it um like completely self-sufficiently we're kind of self-sufficient in that what we take what we eat is reclaimed waste but then we in doing that we are still dependent on a system which we're trying to abolish you see something that i've thought about a lot like if sainsbury's stopped putting their food in the skips what would we do like yeah yeah <laughs> we grow but we probably grow about 10 to 15 percent of our food yeah, here you know yeah, we do. We- there's also obviously like foraging there's a lot of wild foods that do grow you know this time of year there's mushrooms and you can you know soon we'll be coming into spring and that's such a flourishing time you've got yeah. nettles wild garlic um hawthorn leaves um, all, all of these things that are just growing all around us in the hedgerows that are actually so great for us. I mean, like, uh, nettles contain more vitamin C than oranges pound for pound. Uh, and they also contain more iron pound, pound, uh, pound for pound than spinach. So, you know, nettles, which are... Uh, they were brought here by the Romans, you know, uh, a long time ago, are actually an amazing food. Um, but, you know, we just kind of see them as a as a weed, you know, but... Again, this is the idea of like waste in society. You know, like the definition of a weed is a plant 
that is not supposed to be where it is but actually you can eat most of your weeds you can eat them you know and they're really good for you you know our grandparents did it they used to make tinctures and you know and all you know and salads and and all kinds of foods out of the things that they picked from all around them we should get back to that because we're slowly becoming so dependent on on corporate businesses for our food mm-hmm. we're losing we're losing sight of the food that's all around us it's everywhere i'm just imagining all the blackberries yeah, loads. Oh, they grow on, on land that like used to be used for stuff, and then um, uh, it has sort of become disused. Blackberries mm. always grow really well, so we've got loads, and they taste good as well. Just a few more like people's houses, like little residences. That's my house uh, in the woods. Yeah, let's have a look at your house. This is my house here. Hello, house. I, bu- I built this bender. Uh, it's a bender structure, which is basically like um, take young saplings of hazel. Um, hazel grows back, so you can coppice them um, basically to the root, and they'll grow back. And then you bend the twigs over. I had to use my surroundings, and what I found around here was hornbeam uh, trees, which it worked just as well. But do you want to have a look inside? So this is my front door. I actually got this door by working on a job. Um, someone's house I helped them take down a shed in their back garden so I took this door frame and this door brought it here and made this door so yeah this is my home everything in here is I've not paid for anything Uh, well except the the tarpauling that is on the roof is a green tarpauling I bought that because I needed it Um, and it's you know it's something that can be used for a very long time so I kind of see that as like you know um, not too unrenewable you know uh, it can be used and used again um and uh, we're looking inside right now and there's you know you see all the leaves that are still on the branches from the from the from the bender poles that i i put um it's beautiful yeah. isn't, it? Is. isn't it and you. where did you learn how to do such a thing um just by living in these kind of environments you know and what people have to share their skills that kind of thing you know and um yeah and then you just kind of just don't be afraid to do it and you start to learn that your your brain already really knows how to we can all kind of figure these things out i think uh, people you just kind of got to just set your mind to it and you can you can achieve these things you can empower yourself to do them so the building we're standing in front of right now is the shower block of site um on the, on the bottom floor is where the showers are and where the fire is, where we heat the water to have the showers. But the thing that I'm choosing to focus on is like the water tank, which is on top of a sort of scaffolding structure at the top of the shower. And from there, um, you can get really great views over the surrounding land. So I climb up there quite a lot in the early afternoons and the evenings, and you can see the sun setting from there. You can see the motorway to one side the airport to the other side and the other motorway the m4 and the m25 up there um and it's just really beautiful you can see all that oversight you can see how overgrown it is and you can see all the different structures that people are living in there you can see people passing by coming in and out through the main gate 
um, when it's a clear day, which it's not today, um, you can see the sunsets. And I've seen some really extraordinary sunsets up there, mainly because of the amount of air pollution in the air. Um, it just it makes bizarre colours like salmon pink and like sort of there's a layer of cloud that always hangs over London. I think that's the air pollution. And when the sun crests just below that, it peaks out and it looks like a Renaissance painting of heaven. It's mad. Um, my partner's a photographer um, he lives here as well and we've seen stuff like a rainbow within a rainbow within a rainbow and it's just really worthwhile to come up and like just see the light up there and to me that's sort of the beauty of the place I think this sort of this natural beauty that we're able to experience and see and document and appreciate despite living in a like I mean the, the land of this squat used to be a car wrecking yard and then before that used to be a series of industrial greenhouses designed to grow food to ship into London so like this whole land now and now with the airport and the motorways is like super industrial super the natural aspect of it's been really repressed but you can still glimpse that here and this is a place where you can do that and you just see like all the the weeds and the nature and how everything's sort of na- it's so inspiring to see how nature's claimed back this land it used to be a car wrecking yard and um there's all sorts of shit in the soil like you can't grow anything just on the soil you have to have it in raised flower beds but you can see how we've sort of we've put our structures here and like all, all over the place and the little paths weaving in between the structures and it you feel like i don't know like we're like we we've sort of taken it back in our own extremely disorganised but very contented way. Um, it makes me happy. Like we got there and you can look out of everything. You get a real sense of perspective. You have the feeling that it's much higher than it is. You, the view the view up there is like much better than you'd imagine. So like what we're looking at is uh, is basically some old uh, oil drums that are welded together in in a in an L shape. Um, uh, so at the bottom uh, is where we make a fire and inside this cylindrical uh, vertical um, two drums that have been welded together here um, inside there is a very small uh, very uh, skinny shallow radiator uh, like you'd find in any any house Um, and that is connected to water pipes uh, from our mains so when we make a fire in here it heats up the water inside the radiators um, there's a flue pipe that obviously goes from the uh, from the the burner so that the, the you know the the fire burns and the smoke goes out of the chimney um, at a regulated height which is safe for uh, our, our local community um, and the water inside gets heated up uh, through 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 laws of physics and convection the water is risen upwards uh, and it goes into it goes into an overhead tank which is about five meters above our heads uh, and that goes into an insulated container of water barrels um, and then here we have two shower cubicles inside both have a hot and a cold tap um, so uh, and and the water from above um, um, through through the laws of physics again through gravity um, <laughs> Uh, the water will come down uh, through the shower um, and it's great like I've actually had better pressure in you know we've had better pressure in these showers than, than a lot of household showers that you know a lot of like bed sits and flats that I've lived in the, and the water's amazing you know it just feels so good like you get the water so nice and hot and then you just go in yeah you know, I mean you can see these just look like any normal showers at home it's not a bucket on a string with a shower attachment it's the, yeah. these are this is you know this a lot of thought and amazing energy. showers for a squat like for for a place like this 
so much thought and effort in the engineering, the, the logistics of building this place. And men and women both both put their minds to this, to make this space into, a, you know, into a beautiful um, washroom. Nice, yeah, there's a nice big area here as well where we can sit, sit around and enjoy the warmth from the fire. And it, Yeah. It's a really nice space. It's one of my favourite spaces on site, I think, is, is the shower block. My favourite thing is uh, when everyone's cooperatively uh, w- like working together to have a shower. So, like, yeah. so, you know, we kind of, we'll, we'll get a few people maybe converging and we're like, okay, we all want to have a shower. And then someone, you know, someone will, will light the fire, but then or they, they might leave some more wood out for the next person or they'll, you know, when they've had their shower put some more logs on the fire and then go and say like okay the shower's still going like then we have like a little queue and we sometimes hang out in here and it's quite a social event as well um, which is kind of kind of cool like i enjoy that um yeah that's that's like a really nice thing about living uh in such proximity with other people is that um yeah if you know like things like if you hang out in the kitchen long enough someone will give you food that they've made and like, everyone kind of um, we all like want to help each other in in that way and we're all we were all working together basically on these basic things like having showers and 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 being warm and we never feel like we have to do anything by ourselves or like we're never we're never just in it for ourselves i I do know what you're saying i think it's it's good to note that having independency still in a space like this Mm. is is important Mm. um yes we can rely on a lot of things here in this community but at least to myself I don't believe in becoming completely reliant on you know every, everyone around me because that's such a pressure that I can end up putting on other people you know in, in in fact the way that we can rely on each other here is by relying on ourselves to 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 provide for the community which then provides for ourselves yeah. it's a full-time yeah. job there are people here who you know who work inside and out I mean person walking towards us who's disappearing he's just giving us a wave that's uh that's a member of the community um here who <laughs> who who has a job outside of, of site myself i also um do work outside of site but while we're living here it's also like a full-time job so there's, there's never really uh like we organize ourselves our own workload but every 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 day can be hard work um and stuff like that you you never have to think about um yeah like build, building something for yourself or making something for yourself in an outside world like we just pay rent f- and like f- for things like hot water for your shower or to wash your hands um and you just don't really think about it but here it's like um when you have to go and chop wood and light a fire and then wait for 20 minutes to heat up your water for your shower everything takes a bit longer but it's a bit more satisfying like there's you're more engaged with these processes um about your kind of day-to-day well-being that we don't yeah we don't don't think about it in the outside world um and yeah i don't know i guess survival like this place really makes me think like you know what would happen if you know if there was an apocalypse i i could survive it like with these, this is like a post-apocalyptic like community if you just use your imagination a little bit you know like looking at this vista this could be like post-nuclear like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it totally could be but built up know. surrounding solar panels and water towers and mm. I mean that's kind of what we're looking at right now isn't it we're, we're looking at old greenhouse structures mm. that have uh, the glass uh, put put back in because um, you know the 
years and years ago this this whole bit of land was greenhouses that fed London you know when we used to grow food in this country and, and feed uh, London um, um, some solar panels to the right um, which powers uh, the battery systems um, we have more of those on the greenhouse which is over to the left um, yeah I think the post-apocalyptic it's 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 definitely a good image, you know, the, uh, a, a good description. Except you're supposed to be utopia. A uto well, you know, well, dystopia, I mean, utopia. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of utopian in its in its dysfunction. Um, this used to be a building. Um, so what we're looking at now is a heap of um, mud and soggy straw, roughly in a rectangular shape. There's like burnt parts sort of in the corners. There's like a, a, a greenhouse kind of structure made out of scaff poles over it. And until <clears throat> the 1st of December last year, this used to be a building, um, a straw bale house. So straw bale is a type of sustainable building. Straw bales, it's like bales of straw covered over with clay it holds heat very well um so it's a um it's very like low carbon good way to build a warm space it took about five years to build and then other people like inside um some like uh wooden benches and like a bunk bed and like loads of structures inside so it took many people with lots of different skill sets a lot of time to put it together there's all sorts of people that have passed in and out of the community lived here done work here so much of the extended family that feels involved with grow heathrow even if they're not physically present living on site um devastating and now what we're left with is a ruin it's a wreck it's not functional um and we're just sort of there's talk of like getting on it and doing stuff in spring. I have dreams, like actually, like when I sleep at night, dreams of like clearing all this and putting a flower bed in there and and stuff like that. And I've dreamt that it's happened, but I don't think it will for quite a while. The the space here, it'll have a new life. We've recycled like most of this building, really. Like that's quite cool. We did a lot of moving it around. You see, like all over site where we've been walking is all the straw all over the floor because we figured that was probably the best thing to do with all the straw was redistribute it you know it's all about the cycle of life <laughs> but yeah. The, yeah it was a bit sad we were all awoken at like half past three in the morning to one of our very loved um very uh very cherished yeah spaces which had been here for five years when it was first built as somebody's house and then it became a community structure for people to go in and relax or meditate or or, or just have a fire or we would have you know our well-being meetings here you know to check in on people's well-being and stuff and yeah very sad as you can see now it is basically just a, a pile of charred wood and and um straw and and cob yeah <laughs> blimey i mean like i'll never ever forget i think i hope I hope for all my life, because it's quite a profound lesson, what it was like to see this on fire. I mean, you realise fire is an element as well. Like, when it's in the stove and you're cooking over it or in the fire heating your water, it's like, oh, there's a fire, oh, lovely, mm, fire. But then it's, like, wildly out of control. It has a force that you can personify when you see it, like, that much fire. It's mad. Like, you see things like this in films, and it's like, oh, there's a building on fire. When you see it with your own eyes, when you see an entire structure this big on fire, and you can see the... The branches here are still blackened from where the flames were. And the noise it makes, the popping and the cracking and the heat, you can feel it in the dark of the December night like on your face. Really mad. It's impressive. You don't forget it. Mm. It's not like a film. It's right there. And the fire brigade were here. Yeah. And we were trying to fight it and buckets of water and 
a couple of people here being like, we're going to defend the site in case the fire brigade try and shut us down. Like, you're not. Like, we can't. Look at how big the fire is. The fire brigade are helping us. Yeah. Obviously, it's an important thing to note, I think, at this point, because, you know, maybe some people are wondering, like, oh, you know, we call ourselves, you know, uh, an anarchist space or, you know, an activist space. Or does that mean that we disagree with public services? We are only obviously speaking from our own personal perspectives in this space and others will have different, uh, different opinions and different perspectives. Uh, I mean, I would say I don't agree. I, I don't disagree with public services. I think it's just the authoritarian aspect of the public services which is which needs to be looked at. Should be here to serve and help humanity, not be against it. So, for instance, when this happened, when this fire happened, it became out of our control. Uh, which is funny because when you're faced with it, when you're trying to fight a fire that's bigger than you and it's bigger than you can cope with, you start to feel a little bit uh, vulnerable, you know. Um, so, yeah the fire service was called and they came and they put the fire out and you know I'm very grateful to them we were like we're gonna lose our homes if we don't let them so they came um they had these huge hoses and there were so many of them like 10 15 maybe more um police ambulance as well in case anyone had got injured it was really stunning um all the same it took them from like two in the morning until about six or seven to get it under control in the, it's in the dark so, and you can see the light on the people's faces and the sound of the radios of the fire brigade and the sound of the water and then the 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 sound of the flames hissing and some parts going out and like the glass of the windows like smashing with the heat inside really heavy memory um when you see something like that and you live somewhere like here where things are so out in the open and everything is so chaotic um, and at the time October, November was not very good for relations on site it's hard not to get superstitious quite quickly about it particularly in the dark and the night I took it at that time as like all the meetings that we had here trying to resolve the conflict created so much bad energy and this was the bad energy burning not like the energy is burning good and it's renewal or it's not the energy burning and it's bad that the bad energy was there but it's just like a fact it's energy being reclaimed by a different energy and it's it's being taken and it's being purged and it's just like that's what's happening it's like death like it's just happening that gives me goosebumps to think about blimey like October and November of last year were really difficult months to live here, like really hard. And and I was wondering, I was like, is it me? Like, have I got depression? Is it my partner? Is it, what 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 is it? And then finally, you realise it's it's here. It's like living among people who um, look burnt out, feel burnt out. Like when you look in their eyes, you can see they're like fighting against where they live and what they do. And we had some mediation meetings here, which tried to resolve that. But I think finally things were too far down the line and. Most of the people who felt burnout in their own ways and were sort of warring with each other left. They've all gone now, and the people who remain are people who were always quite happy here all along. Because like people come to this place with lots of different intentions, lots of different ideas about what they want to do, and we're not. I mean, we're all in the same place, but we've all got different reasons. We've all come from a society that encourages individualism, promotes lack of cooperation, promotes sort of just going out and doing your own thing, and that's hardwired into everybody. It's what we revert back to very quickly when things don't work out in a more horizontal way. I saw that a lot in October, November, and um, I guess it's the price you pay sometimes for trying to make a better world. I think um, communal living and, and like consensus decision making and all the things that we do here is like 
it's gonna be dysfunctional but that's really important like it's important to have conflicts and um like some some utopian community where everyone just loves each other like i think that's not that's not reality but like this this is reality and it's really like it's really kind of good to to feel the reality of this place and there's always going to be conflicts and disagreements and it's like the important skills is how to navigate those like it's not how not to have conflicts it's it's how to deal with conflicts appropriately when they inevitably arise <laughs> I think that these are skills as well again that you, you that we don't learn in the, in the outside world in the world beyond the gates we're like we're used to authority and we're used to um yeah we used to a hierarchy you've got to recalibrate something to um to function like a community like this in a non-hierarchical way which is I mean it's it's difficult like it's not it's not an easy thing but it's it's really necessary and um it takes it takes a lot like you have to be very self-aware and like but almost like beyond yourself but that like that's why we're here we're here to learn how to do that we're here we're here to learn how to create a better society where it's more equal and just because we're here doesn't mean we're experts in doing that but like we're giving we're giving it a shot (laughs) the the context of like what is going on in the community like makes such a difference on what what we can tell you like the, what we say about it you know uh, and like trying to I guess present a front of like this um you know it's this happening place and, and it was working and, it, and like we we do have that and like you know we've yeah. taken shown you like the cool things like the shower and like the, all the, the eco stuff that, that we do but <laughs> the stuff that makes this place yeah. bearable but, like, if, if, and if it's gonna be if it's gonna be like an honest portrayal of community life mm. like the, like this is the reality of, of community life as well mm. um that we have to navigate a lot of uh, these kind of interpersonal things that happen and like this doesn't happen in normal life because there's a structure in normal life but when you kind of get rid of the structure as an experiment things like this happen and so it's like a I mean, it's an experiment. I think a lot of people who sometimes people come here, they're idealists and they want things to work and they have they they want to achieve and succeed and they've got so much energy to give. Um, but finally, it's it's a big challenge and living here is challenging. It's a squat. People come in here carrying all sorts of things with them and you know it's. I think that's something I'd underline. It's sort of um, there's a good quote about this. I can't quite remember, but it's about how um, it what we're doing it's not a place to reach it's more like a route a way that we walk to get there it's like we're not trying to we don't really know what utopia looks like if it even exists but we're trying to do something better um and that that's sometimes the best you can do that's the goal in itself just the path um figuratively but also practically and geographically we're a little weed we're a little crack growing um in between sort of the concrete or the tarmac or what's been trying to repress down and we're not doing loads but we're like we're resisting just by living like this um and i and that's that's an achievement like we're up against so much but we're still here swallow try to fight us as we awaken all these giants powerful souls unite us standing on the earth our home So they'll try to fight us As we awaken all these giants But hidden beneath these tyrants Is our way home 
And I only know what's in my heart. If we reap what we sow, just plant new seeds that can grow. Oh, why don't you wake up, wake up to the songs in your heart? And will you stand up, stand up together as one? And we can make up, make up for the time that we lost. Why don't you wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up? Why don't you wake up? Why don't you? Wake up, why don't you wake up, why don't you And then the phone rings, <laughs> just as it is. Sorry, actually. Go for it. Hello, Mum. Thank you for listening to Resistance is Fertile. And thank you especially to Kirsty, William and Mandy for showing us the beauty in the struggle at Grove Throne. In the next episode, we'll be visiting Lazad in France, a huge zone of inhabited resistance against an airport and its world, with even more projects and experiments in living better with less and without the usual confines of society. See you there.